0: Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. So I spent the first two weeks of February sequestered to my bedroom. Thank you, COVID, right? And while I was in there, I began to think about the space more than the sheer dust that was under my dresser. I began thinking about like, is this space really functional? You know, can I really spend hours, days, almost two weeks in my bedroom? Now, don't get me wrong, I had to bring a few things in like a camping chair and my computer monitor because this achiever thought she was gonna get a whole lot of work done. Womp, 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 that did not happen. But it was interesting. I began to think about the theology of space, how space really does, like, foster a connection or not foster a connection with God. You know what this is like. There are certain spaces in your life that make you feel closer to God and others that don't. I mean, there are those spaces that just really, like, make your heart sing. Maybe some of you, when you go back home, wherever home is, there's a place. Maybe it's your childhood home. Maybe it's that school. Maybe it's that workplace. Maybe it's your favorite vacation destination. I know you guys are gonna really love me, but I was in Florida all week long. Mm. And the moment I put my toes in the sand, I was like, thank you for this piece of heaven, sweet Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but at this point in February, in Ohio, with gray day after gray day, I'm ready to just say, forget it. Anybody else? Anybody else, right? And so there we are in these places and spaces that we feel connected to God, and they make our hearts sing, and space and place actually matter. And where I experienced this kind of the first time in my life most profoundly is when I moved from my childhood home in the Hocking Hills with the trees and the forest and the rocks and the cliffs and the waterfalls to Anderson, Indiana and Anderson University and it was flatter than a pancake. And in January, when the snow was on the ground, the entire month, I was like, Jesus, I don't know if I can take this. I need to go home. I didn't go home. But I realized that in that moment that space actually matters, that we gravitate toward certain spaces and places. And it's not just in our connection with the divine. It's also in our relationships. So brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about today what it means to create space, to connect with God and one another. It's what I'm calling brave space. Say that with me, brave space. Now, I want to make a distinction between brave space and safe space. When we create safe space, it is a space of protection. It's a space of comfort. It's where you can be comfortable, be yourself, and just be safe. But brothers and sisters, safe space is not brave space. Brave space is a space that when we lend into that space, we gotta have some serious courage. We gotta be willing to freely disagree. We've gotta be willing to get our feelings hurt. That's not comfortable. That's not safe. That's not protected space. And yet that space is so needed and necessary for the culture we find ourselves in today. So pastor, how on earth am I gonna be willing to get that uncomfortable to create brave space? I am so glad you asked. And before we get there, let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for your masterful creation for the spaces and places where we feel connected to you. Whether that's out in the woods or even the plains, or even standing by the ocean, listening to those waves lap against the sand. God, sometimes we experience you in a kitchen with a well-worn table and just a candlelight glowing. Whatever it is, We're grateful for your presence because you promised Jesus where two or three are gathered in my name, you would be in their midst. So God, you are here. Open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to your presence. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Meet us in this place and help us to be co-creators of Brave Space. We pray this and we claim this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to start real easy. Like we're going to talk about divided spaces, right? How we create division in our culture. Now, it doesn't take us long to realize that division is the name of the game. And, and over the, the uh, timeline of human history, we've done a really good job of creating spaces and categories for people. Even in our own United States history, we have practices like redlining, where we segregated black families to certain neighborhoods and zip codes. Plessy versus Ferguson, that became the foundation for uh, Jim Crow laws. But it's not just in the U.S. You also have uh, practices like apartheid in South Africa, the Holocaust, and what the Nazis were doing in Germany, and with their segregation and separation and annihilation of the Jews and many other subgroups. Brothers and sisters, we human beings tend to want to divide one another. And maybe you don't realize this even happens to followers of Jesus in present day throughout the globe. Do you realize that 13 Christians every single day are killed for their faith? 12 churches or church buildings are, are attacked every day. 12 people beat up or arrested for their faith every day. Five people abducted because they claim the name of Jesus every single day. Separation, division, hate. And even though when we hear those things, we think, well, that's not me, that's not who I am, and yet, brothers and sisters, it is so tempting for us to do the same, for us to create divisions. It doesn't take us long to recognize all it is is a sim- simple Google search, and we realize that, that we find ourselves in a very divided world. We've been reading this book, The Church of Us Versus Them, and in it, uh, David Fitch, he says, you know, we have this tendency to really look more like a political rally than the church. We'll get to what he means by that in a moment. Because in this country, we've prided ourselves on being divided. There is this growing division, particularly when it comes to partisan politics in the United States. One organization Pew Research wrote this, the studies we've conducted over the past few years illustrate the increasing stark disagreement between Democrats and Republicans, say it ain't so, on the economy, racial issues, climate change, law enforcement, international engagement, because you know we haven't felt that this week, and a long list of other issues. Now last week I heard a colleague said to me, you know, Rachel, I feel like people associate themselves more with their political ideologies than they do with their faith in Jesus. And here's the problem. I've experienced that to be true. Brothers and sisters, that is dangerous territory. That's not who we are called to be. We are followers of Jesus. And yet, let's go back to that political rally. Some of you, I imagine, have been to a political rally where you You know, you wear your team's colors, you have the banners, you get in there, you start shouting your team's mottos. Political rallies are all about separation and division. They are like fostered by this, like us versus them dialogue. And it's gotta be like this or that, blue or red, for us or against us. It's all about cultivating this culture of fear us versus them. So it's in that kind of animosity that Jesus speaks a really prophetic word. I want you to open your Bibles and your Bible apps and turn with me to Matthew's gospel chapter five. We're going to begin with verse 43. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. Jesus said, you've heard it You've heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, really? Here in this passage, Jesus is crystal clear. He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount where he's inviting us once again into a new way of being human. Jesus is saying there's a different way to live, a different way to exist. You can be in relationship with God and one another. Bottom line, Jesus is inviting us into brave space, into a space that is beyond us versus them. So let me break this scripture down a little bit. I want you to know there is nowhere in the Old Testament that you're asked to hate your enemy. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Leviticus 19:18 it says, "'Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge "'against anyone among your people, "'but love your neighbor as, as yourself. "'I am the Lord.'" So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, Jesus has to be speaking about some kind of local model of the day. I imagine that there are some religious people who are like, look, we've got to hate our enemy. And who are the enemies of the day? Well, the occupiers, that is Rome. And so Jesus is hitting the nail on the head when he says, you've heard it said, hate your enemy, but I'm gonna flip the script. I'm gonna ask you to live a completely different way. Now, brothers and sisters, before we point fingers at the first century, I imagine that there are some folk that we love to hate. Institution, political candidates, teams, you really name it. We have this ability to just like put someone in a category and other them so that, you know, they're the enemy. And some of you are like, oh, no, that doesn't happen. Uh. Oh, my gosh, I just about cussed. (laughs) I have COVID brain. Mm -mm. Anyhow, so that doesn't happen. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord, for I have said no. (laughs) It does happen. Because I know when you get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social media of choice and your blood pressure starts to rise because you see someone that posts something that you don't agree with, mm, that person is not exactly like your favorite person. We do this, we get angry, we other one another, but Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you, my followers. Not so with you, we kingdom people. You are not only gonna love your neighbor, but you are gonna love your enemy and you're gonna pray for those who persecute you. So brothers and sisters, how do we create this brave space? Well, first, We pray for our enemies, let's say that together. Pray for your enemy. You know, it's interesting. I'm a a person that loves to prepare way in advance, so I write sermons way in advance. I wrote this sermon about a month ago. I had no idea that a month ago that Russia was gonna invade Ukraine. And so when I started going over this message this week, I was like, oh, snap. What does it really mean to pray for Russia? What does it mean to pray for enemies? What does it mean to pray for people you don't agree with what you're doing? What does it mean to actually live out this verse and mean it? Now, brothers and sisters, there are some of you that say, well, prayer doesn't really work. Have you seen those social media memes that say, I don't need your prayers, I need justice? As though we can like dismiss prayer as like this passive activity. Brothers and sisters, prayer is a prophetic activity. When we pray, we're saying, God, I wanna align my will with your will. I wanna see what you see. I wanna do what you do. I want my head, my heart, and my hands to be mobilized by the God of the universe. This is what I want you to do. And yes, I want the same thing for my enemy. Do you realize it's real hard to hate someone that you are genuinely praying for? And that doesn't mean we can't be angry because there is a place and space for anger. We can be angry, because guess what? It's in there, you better get it out. You better give that over to God. I mean, we sing real anger all over scripture, particularly in the prayers. Like the book of Psalms, David's prayer in Psalm 109, this is what he says. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let the accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let it be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. And as if that's bad, and not bad enough, may his children be fatherless and his wife be a widow. Don't hold back, David. Tell me what you really think. Raw and real and angry. Now, if you keep reading Psalm 109, it gets a little more graphic than that. But David doesn't stop there. He doesn't stay in his anger. He doesn't wallow in all of that frustration. No, eventually he gives it over to God. Look at verse 31. With my mouth, I will extol the Lord and the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who will condemn him. So in other words, he's saying, look, I'm not in control, but God, I know you are, and I'm gonna put my trust in you. It's not gonna be what, about what I do. It's gonna be about what you do, God. So, God, I'm gonna put my trust in you. Brother sister, there is a place for anger, there's a place for frustration, but we can't hold on to that very long. No, we gotta let that go and then model the character of God. Say that with me model the character of God. Now, Jesus offers us some insight in how God is operating when he says, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Friends, this is an agrarian community. They depend on the sun and the rain for their, their sustainability. They need God to do what God does. And brothers and sisters, God does this for those who are good and those whose choices are not so good. Why? Not because anybody deserves God's goodness and grace and mercy and compassion, but because God is God and we are not. And our God is a good and passionate, loving God, even when we mess up. And so what's one of the most challenging things for us to do in 2022? Well, it's to take the high road. When we see something happening and we think to ourselves, man, that person better get what they deserve. We've got to extend grace. And, whew, that's difficult. It reminds me of a scene from the play Les Mis. Anybody ever listened to, read about the play Les Mis? Yeah. There's a scene where the main character Jean Valjean who gets thrown into prison and then is let go and he has like nowhere to go. His life is basically ended He finds himself uh, receiving the hospitality of a priest. A priest invites him to stay with him. and, And he's the only one who's ever extended any kind of grace to Jean Valjean. And So what does he do? He steals from the priest. He takes his silver and he goes on the run. And then he's caught by the authorities. And of course, the authorities have him. So they bring him back to the priest. And they are ready for Jean Valjean to get what he deserves. But in a moment that shocks everyone... The priest takes two silver candlesticks and hands them to Jean Valjean and says, you forgot these. These are yours as well. And then he says to Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean, my brother, no longer you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition and I give it to God. That's not what's supposed to happen. He's supposed to get what he deserves, and yet, here is this priest that extends, Jean Valjean, amazing grace, and guess what? It transforms the man's life. That's the power of compassion. That's the power of mercy. That's the power of grace, and it's not easy to model. Jesus said it this way, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect. Come on, Pastor Rachel, ain't nobody who's perfect. Now, brothers and sisters, that word does not mean perfect or perfectionism. That work in the Greek is teleos. It actually means whole, complete, to reach to its fullness. So in other words, Jesus is saying God wants to do a 360-degree work in you so that you can be whole and healed, work toward completeness. Now, brothers and sisters, we are all a work in progress. Can I get an amen? Do you realize that the God of the universe is so mindful of you that God wants to do a daily work in you to make you whole and complete and full so that you can be perfect like God is perfect. But there's more, creating brave space, actually creating space where we can freely disagree means becoming a call in community. Say that with me, call in community. Now, some of you have heard me use this term before, call in community. It means that we call people in instead of calling them out even our enemies, that we become this community where we're just calling people in, inviting them in to the conversation. I believe it is the absolute antidote to the divisive culture we find ourselves in. Jesus again said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Do not even the tax collectors, brothers and sisters, tax collectors were despised people. Aren't they doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that. People that have no regard for their own like holy living. Creating brave space, being kingdom-minded people means that we gotta do more than the bare minimum. Look, I get it. It is easy to hang out with people who look like us and vote like we do and like the same things and particularly the same music that we do. I mean, it is awesome. It is awesome. And yet it's easy. Jesus didn't call us to easy. He said, come follow me. So brother or sister, when we come follow Jesus, we become this call in community that sometimes we find ourselves in conversation with people that, man, there are moments with what they say that we just want to rip their lips off because they make us so angry. How can you ever think that? How could you vote for that person? I'm sure you've never said that, right? I mean, and yet, in this Jesus-calling culture, we learn how to agree to disagree. Brother, sister, I need you to know that there is a new generation who is desperate to have these tools in their toolbox, to know what it means to be human, to be engaged with people who are different than they are, not just sequestered to the spaces and places where we feel comfortable, but being in these uncomfortable spaces so that we can be an alternative community to the world. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a name for this kind of community. He called it beloved community. And he realized to get there wasn't gonna be easy. It was gonna take hard work and persistence. In fact, in a sermon that he preached called The Birth of a New Nation on April 7th, 1957, He reminded us that it was going to take suffering. In fact, he reminded us that we as Christians know this stuff, that we are an Easter people, and you can't get to Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You can't get to Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You can't get to the resurrection without the death of Jesus. So suffering is baked right in there. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. In fact... This is a piece of that sermon.
1: That's a beautiful thing, all flesh shall see together. Not some from the heights of Park Street, and others from the dungeons of Slomery. Not some from the pinnacles of the British Empire, and some from the dark deserts of Africa. Not some from inordinate, superfluous wealth, and others from abject, deadening poverty. Not some white, not some black, not some yellow, not some brown, but all flesh shall see it together. They shall see it from Montgomery, they shall see it from New York, they shall see it from Ghana, they shall see it from China. For I can look out and see a great number, as John saw, marching into the great eternity. Because God is working in this world, and at this hour, and at this moment. And God grant that we will get on board and start marching with God, because we got orders now to break down the bondage and the walls of colonialism, exploitation, and imperialism, to break them down to the point that no man will trample over another man, but that all men will respect the dignity and worth of all human personality. And then we will be in Cana's freedom land,
0: What a prophetic word for the situation we find ourselves in, because God is working in this world at this hour, at this moment. Brothers and sisters, God is at work. And I believe with every fiber of my being that Jesus is challenging us as followers of Jesus to create brave space, to be the kind of people that welcome people in, that call people in. And you might say, but pastor, where do we get started? Well, here's where, at the table. At the table. Do you realize just a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter five, Jesus began to say uh, to his disciples, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. That's the work of the church. The work of the church is reconciliation to God and to one another. We are called to be a reconciling people. This is who we are. One more passage from the church of us versus them about the political rally in the church. David Fitch writes, the political rally in contrast depends on the making of an enemy to stir the crowd the ones who gather to gain identity by being against something. If you took away that enemy, the crowd would fritter away because there would be nothing left for them to gather around. Their life would be empty to the core. This politics shapes us as an angry, coercive, and defensive people. Listen to this. The church, however, comes together around the presence of the living God. This comes together around the presence of the incarnate Christ, becoming present by the Spirit among his people. This presence offers forgiveness and reconciliation and healing and renewal by the Spirit. This politic shapes us as a peaceful people beyond enemies, a church beyond us versus them. So the question for Christians everywhere as we gather in church services amid the tumult of our times is this. Is my church more like a political rally or the table of our Lord? Is my church more like a political rally or the table of my Lord? Because brother, sister, let me tell you something. I don't give a rip who you voted for. But I do give a rip. I do give a rip that you live out the Jesus life. That when people look at us, when they see us, they see the love of God in and through us. That when people around this community see what we're doing to help our neighbors, not because of who we are, but because of who God is, they are like, those Ginghamsburg people are super weird. (laughs) Praise God. Because they won't fight with us. They won't get in heated heated arguments. They actually listen to us, even though I know they didn't vote who I voted for. Do you know the fastest way to like stop an argument? Just listen. Listen in love and see that person transform before your very eyes. We are different and different is oh so good. So brother, sister, I imagine you're like me and maybe in the last year or two, you've been a keyboard warrior. <laughs> you've said some things, you've done some things that have added to the noise and the hate and the division. And we have a name for that. It's called sin. And so today, we're just gonna take a little time before we receive communion to confess our sin before God and one another. Jesus invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace and justice with one another. So, what we're going to do is we're going to confess our sin before God and one another, and we're going to read this prayer of confession together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. So brothers and sisters, hear this good news. When you pray that prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You're forgiven set free. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.